Hey, Kingdom Roots listeners, thanks for joining us today. Uh, today on the podcast, we actually are playing a webinar that Scott and Jeff Holsklaw did on the Great Gospel Experiment. So it's a great episode. Really think you're going to enjoy. Part one is coming at you today, and we're actually going to be doing part two next week. But before we get there, I wanted to invite you to a special opportunity at Northern. Northern's having our second annual Theology and Mission Lectureship on Thursday evening, June 8th, and Friday morning, June 9th. We're having renowned theologian Stanley Hauerwas, who will be addressing the question of, do we still need the church? Many are walking away from the church, and others who still love God and have a relationship with Him don't see the need for church anymore. Now, all these people have lost hope that God is working in and through the church to save a lost world. We hope you can join us as Stanley Hauerwas casts a vision for a church the world can really believe in. He'll lead us in how to build a robust community as the church, moving beyond merely gathering individuals from Sunday to Sunday. If you'd like more info on this event or would like to register for it, uh, this great opportunity, you can do so at seminary.edu slash onmission17. Again, that site is seminary.edu slash onmission17. We hope you're able to join us. But Thanks again for joining us today on the podcast. Hope you really enjoy this first part of the Great Gospel Experiment. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight. The conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation on the Great Gospel Experiment. Uh, thank you for joining us. We are Northern Seminary. Uh, we're located here in the south southwest uh, suburbs of Chicago in Lombard, but we have you know our fingers and roots going out all over Chicago, which is exciting. Yep, yep. Um, this is Scott McKnight. My name is Jeff Holskla. I am a professor here as well as the director of the uh, Master's in Theology and Mission. You also have a program, a master's degree in New Testament. That's right. So tell we us have just- a wonderful cohort going right now. Uh, we have a student, uh, Becky Castle Miller, way over in in the Netherlands. Amen. And we have students um, throughout the United States who are chiming in or piping in through Northern Live, and they become a part of our classroom, and it becomes a live experience. They don't have to leave their setting. They don't have to leave their ministry. They don't have to move and find a job. But instead, they get to uh, take seminary from where they are. And we find this to be very encouraging because we like our students to be deeply rooted in their communities and in their own ministries. Amen. Amen. Uh, Yes. Well, we'll say a little bit more about that at the end. Uh, So, Scott, you've been here on faculty at Northern for six years, five years? This is my fifth year. Can you tell us something about yourself that maybe people wouldn't know about? Just, you know, just to kind of make it personal before we jump in to the Pauline exegesis? Well, I'm a blogger, and I've been blogging for 12 years, so people know all about me and know all about us. So there's probably not a whole lot of things uh, that I need to come on now. What what do you want me to say? I I played college basketball. How about that? And you were a coach. And I coached high school basketball for 10 years, and I ran a baseball camp for 10 years, started a travel baseball program and a travel basketball 
program. That's amazing. How's that? Baseball and basketball. So, well, thank you everyone for being here. We have uh, uh, college students, undergrad students, as well as people who've been in the ministry for a long time who have signed up for this webinar. So why don't we jump in? I'm just going to give a quick explanation of what we're doing today, and then I'm going to hand it over to you. Okay. Scott's going to first lay a groundwork of Paul's vision for the church as God's great gospel experiment, as we've been calling it. That's the title of today's webinar, God's the gospel, the great gospel experiment. He's going to look at the letter of Philemon just after that to try to look at kind of how some of these issues were worked out in the context of mission. We're going to try to get you out of here by quarter till, so uh, just about 45 minutes from here. But be sure to stay till the end because we have a special gift from Scott that we'll be giving to you. And if you don't stay to the end or if you just watch this on replay later, you're not going to get it. I'm going to drop a little gift link nugget into the comments. So be sure to be here for that. Again, this is our first webinar. uh, So uh, be patient with us a little bit. I think things are going to go fine. We had a little crisis there. But anyways, we're fine. Yeah, yeah, we got it going. We're going to make this work. But I will be sending out a, a survey and questionnaire afterwards. If you could just, it'll be super brief. If you could just give us some feedback. And then also the last thing is... Put your thoughts or comments also out on Twitter and Facebook with the hashtag uh, gospel experiment. So if you could be doing that for us to get the word out, that would be fantastic. So to get into the topic, uh, Scott, a couple of years ago, you started or you wrote a book called The Kingdom of Conspiracy, where you talked about the difference between skinny jeans and pleated pants views of the kingdom and how roughly in some ways they're both disconnected from the church. And then you followed that up a little bit with another book um, called The Fellowship of Difference, where you again, you kind of talked about the gospel experiment where there's this power of God's yes that would break down all of the no's that break us apart and separate us, um, especially the no's of like uh, economic privilege or ethnic privilege or gender and things like that. And so to all the people who say no, you want to just, you know, say, well, God says yes. And you talked about the whole kind of fellowship of difference as this fellowship of the church. But you didn't spend much time talking about uh, Philemon in the book or uh, the issue of slavery. And, you know, Paul doesn't seem that revolutionary when it comes to that issue. So we wanted to spend some time today talking about those two issues. So I'm going to hand it off to you to work on some of those things. I want to pay attention to all the things going on in the interwebs. And I'm going to do the cool radio thing where I can move the mic away so you yeah, that is spooky. Okay. Spooky. spooky cool. Over to you. Okay. Um, Paul had a vision from God of what uh, the gospel was creating. And uh, at the center of his vision was the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. And at the center of his vision of the church in its big sense was a local church where the earliest Christians were being uh, exhorted and um, instructed on how to live as the body of Christ in the Roman world. And Paul had a vision that was unlike, from what I can tell, unlike any vision that we see in the Jewish world and unlike any vision that we would see in the Roman world, and namely it was to degrade and deconstruct and eliminate all status issues that separated human beings. And one of the great expressions uh, where Paul writes about this 
in what I think is the first letter that Paul wrote that is recorded in the New Testament. In other words, the earliest of Paul's letters as we have in the New Testament. I'm sure he was writing letters before. But uh, that letter says in Galatians 3.28, this, this, is, this is an expression of this vision by the Apostle Paul. In Christ, he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Well, those are status questions in the Roman world. They divided, uh, Jews divided from Gentiles and Gentiles divided from Jews because they believed they were of different statuses. Neither slave nor free. And a free person could be born free or set free. And it's interesting that he didn't say slaves and citizens. Nor is there male and female. This is a quotation from Genesis 1, 26 to 27, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And he connects this to the family of God in Abraham. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So in Paul's vision, is God creating a body, a people, a church, a local church, where there would be what I call a fellowship of difference. That is, Jews and Gentiles together, eating, fellowshipping with one another, slaves and free fellowshipping with one another, apart from uh, any status connections and any status divisions and male and female. Now, later, Paul will write, and we can debate, we can debate till the cows come home, uh, uh, the the dating of Paul's letters, I think this letter was written probably five to seven years after he wrote Galatians. To the Colossians, he said, here there is, and that is in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised. Now, this is a repetition, classic Jewish re-expression and parallelism. And there is neither barbarian and Scythian slave or free. Now, he's added two categories, barbarian and Scythian. These are typical terms. Greek used a term for a barbarian, for someone who didn't speak Greek uh, well and therefore had a bad accent. And a Scythian is sort of a first-century Roman hillbilly in their stereotypes of that day. And Paul said, in Christ, he says, Christ is all and is in all. His category means that in Christ, all statuses are eliminated and everybody is welcome in Christ. In addition to that, Paul expects local churches to embody that, to live this out in a way that demonstrates to the world that God is creating a new kind of family made up of siblings in Christ, brothers and sisters, who will embody a way of life and a fellowship that will witness to the world of God's redemptive work in Christ and the elimination and breaking down of boundaries between people. This is Paul's vision. And, you know, we're, we're so happy with this. Uh, we're modern Christians, and we believe in a society of tolerance, and uh, we put up with everybody. We try to say we do. Uh, we all have our prejudices. We all have our biases. But we, but we embrace this. Uh, in embracing this, um, and pretending like uh, we actually live this out, we are missing the revolutionary significance of Paul's vision in the first century. I don't think many people would have heard this without gasping, without wondering, 
how in the world is that going to work out? I'm going, I'm glad this is going on behind closed doors. And there would be other responses. Do you know how hard I worked for the status that I have in the Roman empire? Do you know how hard I worked for my master for 30 some years? And he finally emancipated me. And, and you want me to go back to those days? I know I'm not living the greatest of lives, but I'd much rather be freed than a slave. And, and you want me now to pretend like I'm just one of these other slaves in this fellowship and I'm no better than them? And many men would have been would have objected to the status of women being on, uh, on par with them. So I think we have to embrace Scythians and barbarians in a way as a radical revolutionary statement that Paul is making as he creates the vision of God embodied through the gospel of God uh, in every local community where a church is planted. So wherever Paul went, he gave them this vision. Wherever they began to embody the gospel and create a fellowship, wherever they did that, the first thing they encountered were strangers in their midst that they were sitting down and eating with, praying with, listening to, and praying for that they almost certainly would not have experienced on a regular basis in either the Jewish world or the Greco-Roman world. So um, the, uh, yeah, the, uh, there's another text uh, that I think is important that Jeff reminded me of uh, that I, I have in my, uh, in, in my notes. And it's in Romans chapter 11, where Paul talks, uh, he gives one of the clearest images that he ever gives for how these Gentile believers are to relate to Jewish believers. And here's, here's the problem. In the church, we speak and act and theologize as if the church replaced Israel and we act as if it replaced Israel by demonstrating to the whole world that we know almost nothing about the Old Testament, that our faith is not connected to the Old Testament, that you can ask people questions about Jeremiah, and they'll go, yeah, I think he's one of the prophets, and they don't know much more than that. They don't know the story of Abraham very well. They don't know what to do with the law of Moses. But when Paul says in Romans chapter 11, in the last half of that, of that chapter, that there is one stock or one tree, one trunk, one major uh, wooden block, wooden uh, growth, and he said, that's Israel, and the Gentile believers are grafted into that tree stock, into that tree. There's, there's, there's an opening made, and they're put into it, and they are growing now outgrowths of the growth of God in the people of Israel. So Gentiles who become believers don't replace Jewish believers, and they become a third thing, a new religion, a church, and that they're asking Jewish Christians to abandon their Judaism. No, Paul sees I think we could say it this way. Paul sees earliest Christianity as a kind of Judaism, Messianic Judaism, a Messianic Christianity that is directly connected to the great story that God has redemptively with Israel. And so that, that image 
is fundamental for understanding what Paul thinks is happening. I mean, I think you could say that Paul sees um, the Gentiles being grafted into the tree, and he sees women being grafted into the tree in a new way, and he sees Scythians, and he sees barbarians, and he sees slaves, and he sees the free, all being grafted into this tree to create a new growth uh, on this tree that will flourish and become the people of God in the Roman Empire, bringing together Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, and men and women, as well as Scythians and barbarians. By the way, Scythians are sort of like Green Bay Packer fans. Oh, that was a throwdown. Wow, way to build unity. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, they 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 need, talk White Sox. Should they, we get Fitch in here too? They, they need redemption. They Sox? need redemption. <laughs> All right. Thanks for laying that groundwork, Scott. So it's this idea that uh, we are all one in Christ. This is Galatians, Colossians. That not our, only are we one in Christ, but Christ is all in all. He is everything. So when we're in Christ, you know, we're in everything. But then that's kind of reined in a little bit. Well, we're still in Israel. And so these things are all working together. It reminds me of Stendhal, who says that in Jesus, we're in one sense, all honorary Jews. We're all kind of brought in. But there's kind of a question that, that I have for you that maybe maybe other people have, is if the way you present the gospel as God's great social experiment, the, isn't this abstract? The church, the, church. the church. Sorry. Oh, yeah. The church is God's. Gospel creates this church. There we go. So isn't this too abstract or maybe like amorphous? Is it just kind of hanging out there? Does it mean anything goes? So anything yeah. can happen? Yeah. Uh, you know, we theologians can be amorphous and abstract, and I'm really <laughs> clear compared to David Fitch. But um, uh, no, it's not that anything goes. Paul's vision is that those who are in the fellowship of difference are those who believe in Jesus Christ, who've been baptized, who have... Uh, accepted Christ's rule in their life, who are a part of this fellowship, and who are going to live according to the disciplines of the Christian faith and the disciplines of Christian practice. So, yes, it's for all. It's for all who believe, and those who believe are expected to behave in ways that would express the gospel. So it's not an open-ended universalism that we sometimes hear. It is rather... Um, a fellowship of those who are in Christ, who are under Christ, and who want to live with others who are in that same fellowship under Christ. So it is a, it is a, a fellowship of those who believe and who have submitted themselves to Christ as their Lord. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And in one sense, I think we were talking about this before we uh, started the webinar, that uh, the problem with the American church isn't so much that we're so worried about all the people who are coming in. It's, it's that we're all the same. Every yeah. church has all the same people, and we need to recover the sense that there's a risky, disruptive uh, uh, gospel experiment that the church really is. And most of us aren't even dabbling in that reality very well. Yeah, I mean, I, I find this. People will ask me questions. Isn't this too open-ended? Our problem, really, in the United States, in the especially in the evangelical movement, is not at all the open-endedness. Our problem is closed-dooredness, is that instead of being a fellowship of difference, we're a fellowship of the saints. We get to choose like it's a menu item, you know, what church do you want to go to? Do you want to go to one that's a high church with Eucharist every week? You want to go to a low church where they have a band and everybody's dressed kind of 
how do you how you go hipster type dress you claim tattoos. I'm skinny jeans kind of guy yes. you are you are I have skinny. no tattoos yet you have no tattoos oh I'm really impressed <laughs> you're not as hipster as I thought you were My hipster but they all have, gone out the door so they have I mean so we, we pick that kind of church or we pick one on theology I'm Presbyterian I want to make sure we have the right doctrines of grace in here or we're Methodist I want to have a little bit more Arminianism or they're charismatic so we get to pick our churches and it, th- this is great this is what helps the American church grow. But at the same time, this is called the church growth movement, focusing on similarities. The problem with that is we become all the same, and it becomes a fellowship of the same. And people who are just a little bit different, maybe they read from the ESV rather than the NIV, or they read from the King James Version, um, and they don't feel welcome at that church. This is a fundamental mistake. We should check at the door anything that Jesus would check for opportunity of baptism and Eucharist. If Jesus welcomes them to his table, we should welcome them in our church. Yes, it may be there's some rumbling about differences. And I think Paul would say that is what the church is all about. It's a fellowship of difference where we work things out. Look at Paul's letter. Every letter that he writes, other than that. Well, let's jump into Philemon. Yeah, well, just saying, I'm gonna okay. I, I got a really good point here. Okay, keep going. Every one of those churches that he writes to, you see tensions because there were tensions. You, If you want to have a church without tensions, you don't get the New Testament church. That's my point. Well, I hope you enjoyed that first part of our two-part episode on the Great Gospel Experiment. I know I was um, really challenged by what Scott had to say about um, we need to check the things at the door that Jesus would check at the door. Um, Because if Jesus welcomes them, then we should welcome them as well in our community. So I hope this conversation, the first part of it, was helpful uh, as you just learn more about Paul's vision for how God wanted the church to take root then. And hopefully, it's helpful for you to be informed on how God wants the church to be taking root now in the world around us. So thanks again for joining us. And I want to encourage you, make sure you subscribe to our podcast, whether on Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. So you don't miss the next week, the next part of our conversation as uh, we continue this investigation of the great gospel experiment. And uh, we look forward to being with you then again as we continue our conversation as well on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 